Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, Gong Fa Choi, we are off in the year of the ox, and one of us is actually able to go out to the cinema once again, and he's going to talk to us about Andy Lau's new film, Shockwave 2. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, sitting here in sunny South Florida and coming to us from inside a cinema once again is Mr. Kevin Ma. I'm back, baby. Hello, hello. Gong Fa Choi, Gong Fa Choi, So, yes, we are, um, you know, what 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 day is it? Cho Cho Ma, yeah, got me up. Cho, cho, so it's Friday was Cho Ba Cho Gao Cho Sub. So tenth, tenth. Okay. Cho, cho yeah. So Cho Sub, the tenth day into the year of the ox, and um, it's uh, you know been going smoothly over here, but going even better over there because you have uh, gotten out into the theater uh, once again to actually see uh, new new movies and new Hong Kong films to boot. So um, we're going to spend a little bit of time here. Th- at the top of the show before we get into our movie review for this week, I'm talking a little bit about um, the Lunar New Year lockdown over there in Florida. And when we get into our news in just a second, we're going to talk a little bit about, um, I guess, the new app on the scene, Clubhouse, which you and, you know, a lot of other people in the film industry have been utilizing in the past week or so to you know, talk films in 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 Hong Kong. And I've had the good fortune to be a co-host of some sessions over here. Um, I actually got to talk last night with the uh, writer of the new Nicolas Cage film, uh, Willie's Wonderland, which is a film that I thought about reviewing, but I, I decided to hold off uh, on doing that today because I really wanted to just focus on Shockwave 2. But uh, Clubhouse is a pretty interesting app, but we'll talk a little bit more uh, about that as well. But Kevin, so just briefly, uh, before we get into some of the discussion about new policies, but wow, how has Lunar New Year itself been for you over there uh, during the lockdown? Well, for me, it's been a bit quieter than usual. I mean, I usually spend a lot of Lunar New Year at home anyway, uh, by myself, because uh, I usually see my family, well, relatives uh, on Chinese New Year's Eve, and then we go to Wang Tai Temple on New Year's Day, and then that's it. That's it for the year. And then, and then I go, I stay home, I watch movies, I pick out, and that's it. So this year there was no New Year's dinner, um, no Wang Tai Temple visit because um, we decided not to do it just because of the um, social distancing measures. So instead I just spent more, just two more days of picking out at home. But I do, I mean, usually... What's different from this year is that, well, what's different this year is that usually I would go out and watch a lot of films because Chinese New Year is, well, Lunar New Year, sorry, is the big period for big films. So I usually, during the 
that period, I would go out and watch films every day and, you know, probably watch about four, at least three or four films, if not five or six. Um, but this year, there was none because um, cinema stayed closed until just a couple of days ago. It opened on the seventh day of the new year, which is way past uh, the end of the holiday. So um, it's unfortunate for um, film companies because, uh, according to them, the, the new to new year slot makes up for 10% of a year's revenue. So that was a really huge loss for them. But now cinemas are reopened, and uh, but it's been a bit of a quieter uh, Lunar New Year than usual. How about you, Paul? What did you guys do for Lunar New Year in Florida? I mean, it it's it was quiet here too. Normally, we on you know once we get out past the third day, we would be probably going down to. Um, visit friends and you know letting the kids get red packets and giving out red packets and all of the stuff that goes along with that but of course we're not doing any of that this year um no sort of outside dinners or anything like that um and in fact we were going to have a small uh, new year's eve dinner with my dad but then a thing happened where um my daughter actually had my daughter's on distance learning right now and she actually had to go back into the school for some testing that uh, they said could not be done via distance learning. So she had to spend um, uh, a good portion of the day at the school uh, to do that. And so we decided since she was going to be in there and in the classroom and exposed to other kids that we would um, then set up sort of a 14-day quarantine, self-quarantine uh, between us and our dad, because normally we go over to my dad's place a couple times a week, let the kids run around and play in his yard because he's got a bigger yard and um, and stuff like that and, and visit, you know, still as socially distanced as, as much as we can. But we decided we'd take the extra precaution. Um, I have relatives who've already gotten their second vaccine up in the Carolinas uh, but in Florida, um, the rollout is proving much, much slower, and it's kind of a lottery system for seniors right now. So he's still not been um, fortunate enough to be able to get his uh, appointment for his first vaccine yet. So we're still still waiting for that. So um, other than that, I mean, we, you know, kept in. I, you know, learned, got the kids to do some Lunar New Year activities and stuff to kind of keep them engaged. And we gave them their red packets and stuff like that. No, um, I, yeah, I lost my I lost my red packet uh, income this year because yeah. usually I get mine with from my relatives because I'm still not married. This year, no dinner, no no red packets, so I lost that income. Yeah, curse you, COVID. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's you know it's been you know a quieter New Year for sure this year. Um, of course, I've filled a lot of time just you know burying myself in. Uh, old Lunar New Year movies and TVB dramas and and stuff like that to sort of uh, occupy my time. And of course, um, I mean, we are in the season of uh, Lunar New Year movies, but I mean, that's different as well. And, and we've spoken to that a little bit about um, what's out there and, and, you know, for this season. And uh, I think Kevin will talk a little bit more about that um, in just a moment. So let's not waste any further time. Let's get right into our news. All right. So a little bit of a different discussion this week. Um, I want to talk a little bit about 
uh, this Clubhouse app. Now, Clubhouse is, if you're not familiar with what it is, it's this app that has kind of really break it, broken out in the past month. It's been around since, I, I want to say, mid-2020 when it was released, but it really picked up steam in the latter part of the year. And and really, um, in, in ever since January, it's really sort of caught on internationally. And it's right now, it's still kind of in a beta. It's by invite only. Uh, they do have some technical issues from, from time to time. But uh, basically, it's this chat app. And the best way I can describe it is uh, it's not like podcasting but it more like radio. So basically you go in, you can follow people like all, all forms of social media and you set up a room and you set up a concept for the room, you know, a, a theme, an idea or a heading um, or, you know, really nothing at all. You can just set it up with friends to chat. But unlike other things like Zoom and uh, Skype and uh, even even personal things like WhatsApp or FaceTime, it seems like the number of participants is pretty unlimited, which is really amazing. Now, I don't you can you can bring people on stage to talk, and I don't know what the limitations are for that, but you can literally have thousands of people in the room listening to the speakers speak. Um, it's up to uh, it's up to five thousand, I think, or they might have up to the six thousand, but I think the most you can have in a room is five or six thousand people. Yeah, but it, I mean, it's pretty amazing considering some of the limitations they've had on other sort of social media platforms where voice is involved, and so it's really led to some you know very interesting discussions. It was working for a while in China, and it was very very popular, and people were having some interesting discussions there on all manner of subjects, and of course. Um, if anything big like that is happening, then it's not too long before the firewall gets placed around it and it, get, it got shut down, I think, about a week ago. Um, but it's still ongoing. It's it's working well in Hong Kong and Taiwan and other places. And there are some pretty high-profile people who are showing up to sometimes start their own rooms, sometimes listen in, um, people across all kinds of industries, and... Um, Unfortunately, they don't have a really great kind of search function in terms of topics. Um, it's still very, very limited. And like I said, it's kind of a beta, so it's invite only. But if you know somebody who's in and they're using it, they probably have an invite that they can send you. So it's not um, super exclusive if, if you're looking to get on board. And so um, because it's based around the world, you get people talking about things um, often in different languages. So... For myself, I mean, I follow people on the English side of things, but also people on the Chinese-speaking side of things. And Kevin has been involved in quite a few clubhouses, um, you know, going forward, talking about all kinds of things Hong Kong. But this past week, they have some really interesting discussions on sort of the Lunar New Year films and Lunar New Year films um, for this past week because the lockdown was really just lifted, right, Kevin? And they've had a bunch of discussions about what are some of the safety protocols in place. So um, can you give some of the some of the highlights of things you've been discussing this past week? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, the week before is even more interesting because it was sort of a new thing and you had um, writers, directors, uh, perhaps not very famous ones, but they come in and they start rooms like the death of Hong Kong cinema because it was a really dire period and it still is, I mean, now, 
but before you know it was like cinemas were still shut down um we don't know when films were going to come back so it was a really dire period where people every day were just like well what do we do hong kong film is dying hong kong film is dead what do we do what do we do um but now cinemas are reopened and it's sort of re-shifted um now talking about some of the safety measures there are they're placed um, to, you know, for for audiences, and it's actually been quite controversial because a lot of it uh, has to do with this um, this app called this tra- uh, is a contact tracing app called Leaf Anywhere. It's uh, developed by the Hong Kong government, and it's kind of like what Singapore and I think Taiwan and Korea they use these kinds of app, but. Whereas I think Taiwan uses um, what the Android and Apple technology gives them i think government the home government uh, developed this themselves and there's a lot of controversies about what kind of information gets sent to the government but what they did what the government did was that in order to go into a cinema you have to either use the contact tracing app or you have to fill a form uh, with your name your phone number and what time you enter and what date before you can enter the cinema um, and that's the same for actually all restaurants uh, after 6 p.m. Um, so because they just they closed off night dining for also almost two months and it just reopened. And that was one of the conditions that all everyone has to has to has to follow. So um, unfortunately, that means a lot of people who are distrusting of this app, including myself, um, some people have been very resistant about going back to the cinema. They refuse. They they have to stay for something. They, they, they just see the fact that, oh, it's. It's the Leave Anywhere app, and they just refuse to do it. So even though um, new films are out, Shockwave 2, which has done very well, but then you have um, The Way We Keep Dancing, which is a sequel to The Way We Dance, um, it's supposed to appeal to a young audience. It was supposed to come out during uh, during the new year. It's supposed to be a big thing um, for politically what we call the yellow camp, um, the pro-democracy camp. But because of a lot of the pro-democracy people are against this app, so it's become sort of this controversy. Do we go and support this film or do we stick to our stance about not using this app? But they don't realize that you, know, you can just fill in the form. And, and you know, th- actually the cinemas, um, cinema staff don't even check the forms. They don't even check. They don't even verify the phone number. So it really can't fill in anything. Um, so it, it's kind of this back and forth between people, you know, people who, who just have their feet firmly to the ground saying we we refuse to use this app we refuse to give our information whereas you know some of more sensible people um just say no just fill in the form it's fine you know it's um it's okay so it's been that kind of discussion going back and forth a little bit um and about how this the the implementation of this app has literally affected the box office takings of the way we keep dancing um which has actually not not really perform up to expectations, unfortunately. And it, I mean, we can probably, you know, talk a little bit more about that film at, at a later time, but not performing up up to expectations because of um, the COVID restrictions, because people are not going out to cinemas, or because of uh, word of mouth of the film. Oh, it's because the the it, it's targeted towards um, the like I said, who we call the, the yellow camp, the pro-democracy camp people, a lot of young people. And those are the people who are who feel the most strongly about 
not using this leave anywhere app to go into a cinema and not giving up their personal information who are most wary about what that information is going to because there was a, a, a um something that was set um something that was done last a few months ago in Singapore Singapore also has a contact tracing app called I think trace together or something and they 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 pretty much force everyone to use it and they made a promise saying that oh, it's only going to be for contact tracing with we'll delete the information blah blah and then suddenly the police come out and say oh we solved this murder case before we because we used the information from this app even though it was promised by the government that they wouldn't be used for anything else so using that as a prime example uh, a lot of people are very resistant to using this app and therefore refusing to go to cinemas all right interesting interesting so talk a little bit about you know, because you've been back to the cinema for the first time in a long time. Um, you know, how, what was your experience like? What's changed? Uh, what kind of safety measures are in place? Did you eat popcorn? Well, eating is not allowed. Eating and drinking is not allowed in the cinema. Oh, really? Um, okay, this has so, been because yeah, been... over here, over here, they've got they've got like the ads, um, uh, you know, on cinemas that like you can go in and. If you're not renting out the cinema on your own, but you're seeing it with with other people, of course, seats are spaced out. But then they show like having your mask on and then kind of pulling your mask down and eating a piece of popcorn or drinking a drink and then putting it back up. So it's kind of humorous. It's completely ridiculous. I find it ridiculous that you can eat in the the whole point is that it's a, a cinema is supposed to be a safe place because one you don't talk you have your mask on the whole time and therefore it's a safer space than say going out to eat where you know people are taking off their mask and talking a lot but to allow eating in the cinema to me i, I feel like everyone should be more of a germaphobe after after this past year but america it just doesn't make sense to me but yeah, I mean, a lot of the safety measures were already in place last year, since last year, because our our, our cinemas were actually open for, for a couple of months um, back in March until up to uh, August. We had two shutdowns last year. So I think like for between um, between a couple of months. Anyway, there were some time of a, a period where, you know, people were able to go into cinema and um, those those measures were, you know, keep your mask on, uh, don't eat, don't drink. Um, and then, you know, take your temperature and the, the cinemas also promise that they clean, they clean the, the, the auditoriums between every shows and they also, um, disinfect the seats and everything before the first showing every day. That, that thing before I just said, clean, uh, uh sterilizing the, the auditorium between every, every show, I'm pretty sure they're not doing it. Yeah. That's the thing that they, they say that over here too. And that's the thing that scares me because it's like, you know, it's the teenage kids with summer jobs and 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 that kind of thing and you're just wondering you know all, sure they do a decent job cleaning but you always find that one seat that's got like a popcorn cup stuck in between the seats or bits of popcorn in the cup holder you know that that were missed and stuff like that so i'm just thinking are they really cleaning that thoroughly <laughs> you know they're I, they're gotta yeah, be I missing some spots right <laughs> They, they claim that they're spraying some kind of um, steril, sterilizing mist between screenings and disinfecting the the theater before the first show every day, but I don't quite trust it. But the thing is, you know, I clean, I wash, I get my wash clothes. I get my sorry, I get my clothes washed. Oh, that was weird. Uh, I get my clothes washed every day after I go. Anyway, I dump it straight into the, the washer. I don't, you know, I don't. Um, 
repeat it. I it's, it's a thing. I I do enough measures by myself that okay, it's like okay, fine. I don't trust the theaters, but I trust myself more. So, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do the proper thing myself and and you know make sure it's okay. So now I've been so the new the new measures I've been set in place is one the the contact tracing thing um, that wasn't in place before, um, but now it's a new thing because the government is trying to force everyone to use that app and. Two, um, they're making um, theater employees get tested um, every 14 days, which apparently has also turned off a lot of part-time employees because they don't want to get, they don't want to give the DNA and all that stuff. They don't want to get tested. So um, again, again, it's a whole distrust against the government thing. So um, yeah, so those those are the new measures. Um, but otherwise, I mean, yeah. Also, we also have the 50% seating capacity thing. So uh, people are a bit bit spaced out even though um i think some cinemas are kind of doing the tricky way like for example ua cinema they just block out the first four rows and then and then they do like four seats together four seats together so it, so 50 percent capacity true but people are still kind of sitting together which right. i find that very <laughs> but yeah those are the kind of new measures and i feel perfectly safe to be in the theater because i go on weekday afternoons and there was one time I watched one film. I think it was a uh, call um, Hellbank Presents. It's a it's a local film, um, starring Wan Yeo Nam. And for the first time, thirteen years I've been living back in Hong Kong. First time I sat in a cinema by myself in Hong Kong. That film. So I felt perfectly safe for that film. I was like, you don't have to disinfect the seats. It's only me. It's okay. Don't worry. <laughs> I, I I you know I, I don't probably don't even you don't have to check if I'm keeping my mask on. There's no one else breathing in here but me unless there is full of ghosts. It's fine. So yeah. So there are a lot fewer people going to the cinemas anyway, so I'm not I'm not too worried. Interesting, interesting. Um, well, as you progress out there into uh, cinema land in the weeks to come, we hope that you will continue to be safe and healthy, of course. Um, and is there a bit of news? So has a new cinema opened? Yes, I was going to talk about this. Um, so Golden Scene, um, of course, anyone who watches Hong Kong film or fans of Hong Kong film will know this company because they pro- they produced or released um, quite a few really good films. Uh, for example, um, the past year, like So So, My Prince Edward, um, going further back, The Way We Dance, and uh, Bulgaria, it's also Golden Scene, or last year's uh, Chinese New Year film, um, The Great Grandmaster, uh, that was also golden scene. So its founder, Winnie Zhang, um, has been dreaming of opening their own cinema uh, for a long time. For a long, because I first interviewed her in 2009, I think, or 2010, for uh, for a magazine article about our golden scene. And that time, she was already talking about wanting to open her own cinema. Because the thing is, if you have your own cinema. A lot of the distributors here, major distributors here, have their own cinemas um, because then they can program their films at more favorable times. So, for example, Broadway is owned by Edgo, um, who release a lot of art house films. And, of course, uh, they release Train to Busan. Of course, they also do local films. And then uh, MCL is owned by both Intercontinental and Media Asia. So a lot of uh, media Asia films get favorable times there. Of course, Golden Harvest have there, but the Golden Harvest doesn't really release films anymore. Uh, and I'm trying to... Uh, UA, I think, has a deal also have Emperor. So Emperor films get favorable um, uh, uh, slots there as well. So for Golden Scene, because their films are a bit artsier, a bit off the main mainstream, so, it's very, so a lot of the cinemas don't really give them good times, good showing times. So for, for them... 
for at least their art house films to really thrive and find an audience, it's important to have a cinema that would have, you know, have the patience to show those films that would keep those films in cinemas longer and, and even give them favorable times. So finally, finally last week, on the first day that the cinemas reopened, Golden Scene finally opened their own cinema in Kennedy Town, which is way in the west of um, Hong Kong Island, uh, even west of Hong Kong University, I think. So it's sort of by the co- by the by the harbor uh, at the end of the tram line, um, and it's a very small theater. I haven't been. I, I think I'll go in a few days to watch the way we keep dancing, and uh, I think um, another indie film that they're releasing. But it's a really small cinema, uh, four houses. For a total of about 250 seats, so you can imagine how small each house is. Only about 70. I think even the biggest house only has about 80 seats. Um, but still, I mean, it's a great place for them to show the the the, the sort of artsy film, the European films, or the Iranian films, or the uh, art house stuff that they generally release. So it's really the true um, first um, art house cinema that. We've had in a long. I think it's the first art house cinema Hong Kong has since uh, Broadway Cinematheque. Because back then we we used to have the cine art out in Wan Chai back until up to the early '90s, and that cinema was very famous for for you know keeping on art house films for a long time. For example, Love Letter, a Japanese film, played there for I think two years or three years because they have the patience and people kept showing up because of word of mouth. So since that cinema closed. Um, Broadway Cinematheque has sort of been the only place that really did try to keep art house films on. But then again, they're owned by Edgo, so they really show more favoritism to Edgo films um, by nature. Uh, it's natural. So now Golden Scene has their own cinema to do that. So Cinematheque is the one next to the Kubrick, right? Well, Kubrick is, you can say Kubrick is under it's under Cinematech because it's also, it's run by them. Right. But, so, and yeah, yeah. they're, they're, they kind of sister. One was the one in Wan Chai. Is that, um, remembering no, no, Cine, no, Cine Art is, uh, is owned by Sil Metropole actually. And, and since then they've reopened in Kowloon Bay. And then after that, they relocated now to Kowloon city. But when they reopened in Kowloon Bay, it became a neighborhood theater and they stopped really doing a lot of the art house programming that they used to do out in Wan Chai. So it's it's no longer the senior art that that Hong Kongers used to know. And of course, now they're in Kowloon City. There's no way they're going to be showing Iranian film for two years right. so or Japanese film for two years. It's all big blockbusters. So of course, Golden Scene also now this weekend, looking at this weekend, they're also playing Soul. They're also playing um, the Pixar film. Um, they're also playing Shockwave 2, right? Because they also have to make rent. But... But um, when Golden Scene, you know, release more of their art house um, uh, affairs, you know they're gonna have uh, a fair um, competitive uh, time slots at Golden Scene Cinema. Right. I think they closed in the two thousands. I want to say because I, re- I I'm pretty sure I saw a couple Hong Kong Film Festival films at when and at Cine Art in Wan Chai. If my memory hmm. serves. I, I don't quite remember when they closed. I they they were definitely gone when I moved back. Uh, it was kind of a history thing already. Hmm. Uh, maybe late nineties, maybe early two thousands. Must, must have been yeah. early two thousands. Yeah, because I I vaguely remember I remember seeing I want to say a Wong Kar Wai film there and and maybe something else. But I only went there like once because it was kind of out of the way at the time for me. Um, but. But yeah, I mean, it's have, have has there been any other cinema closures because of COVID that you know of? 
And well, we talked, episode, we talked a little bit about the sort of the shuffling that's been going on. Yeah, uh, last last episode I talked about UA selling off K11 to MCL. So I went to K11. I guess I'm guessing it's one last UAK11 one last time today. I don't know when MCO is going to um, open or or after because they take over on the 28th of February, so that's uh, in a few days time, and then we don't know when the MCO is going to reopen it. Um, but uh, closure, um, I hear that one cinema chain may drop another cinema. Um, in in a couple of months and then uh, we have the l cinema which is the only uh cinema that latte the, the korean corporation ran here um they, i mean the fact is they ran it just to uh, have a company in hong kong so they can operate cinemas in china but anyway they had a a little small little theater in shao Wan, uh and that closed uh, i think during the the, the lockdown the the, yeah, the closure so that closed a few months ago and that's the only real solid cinema closure that i that i can remember um oh cinema city took over the metroplex metroplex it's out in the the kowloon bay convention center it's really out of the way but it's great for drivers because there's a really good uh parking there and uh they also um what's the word what's the thing they do to pay for your parking what's that called i haven't I haven't done it in a long time uh, so i don't remember validation that. Yeah, they validate the parking, so it's great for drivers, even though it's out of the way. Uh, it was actually run by the developer who built that, who built that building or who run that building, and then they sold it to Cinema City, which is uh, the cinema chain run by uh, Raymond Wong. Uh, so they took over that theater, but as far as I know, there hasn't been any other theater closure. Interesting, interesting. Right, although, well... although, although, although. Um, it was in the news that a couple of developers, a couple of mall real estate developers have gone to court to chase um, back rent from several cinema distributors. So I wouldn't be surprised if the, the effects of this lockdown, the last the past lockdown will really be felt in the next couple of months when when theaters really can't no longer or they can't pay back those rent and they have to shut down. So I don't know when I don't really, don't really know the true effect of this shutdown until I think the next couple of months. Come on, Hong Kong government. Bail out your cinemas. People need them. All right. Well, we'll keep you updated with any more cinema news uh, as it comes our way. Um, so the last little bit of news to talk about this week, um, really just some uh, observations on things that have been uh, happening, uh, I guess, in part because of COVID. Um, Netflix has la landed a couple of deals and I think we've mentioned a few of these in the past. But, um, of course, uh, the Yin-Yang Master, not to be confused with Yin-Yang Master Dreams of Eternity, the Guo Jingming film we talked about before, but the new film that was um, screening in China during uh, the Lunar New Year by Li Weiran is uh, coming to Netflix. And, in fact, they've, um, they, had it, they had a posting for it or a placeholder for it um, I want to say last week on the 12th when the, the film launched in China and the placeholders kind of gotten filled in with, and they have a trailer up now. Uh, it still hasn't released on Netflix and they don't have a date up as to when it's going to release, but at least um, that is there. So if you are kind of looking for some of the current Lunar Year films that are coming your way, that one should be coming in the not too distant future. Um, the new NASA film called New Gods, NASA Reborn, um, which is not, as I understand it, a uh, part of the um, 
recent NASA animated film universe or anything like that. It seems to be a separate film, separate studio, and it's kind of a retelling in a kind of a cyberpunkish setting. So um looks very, very different, but um, the trailer still looked good, looked interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um, so that also now has a placeholder on Netflix. They've picked that up, um, but that is just a placeholder. It has no um, header art or anything like that. So, you know, that's still probably a little bit off, but it's, I'm glad to see that, uh, they've gotten that one out as well. So a couple things that you can look forward to on Netflix. Um, one thing that's already there that I'm hoping to talk about a bit later, but I know Kevin can't talk about is Monster Run. Um, and that is the, um, latest film from, uh, Henry Wong and starring Sean Yu, um, and it's not a New Year film. Uh, I think the film came out. Um, did did it did it get a release over there with you in in China, Kevin? Um, last uh, year? No, it went no, it went straight straight to streaming because of the uh, the lockdown. It it was released in Taiwan for like a week, and then okay. it did terrible at the box office, and then Hong Kong. For, I mean, there's a Cantonese dub. Uh, they did a Cantonese dub, yeah, but it was never released in Hong Kong. On on Netflix, you can you can switch. Um, between the Cantonese and, and Mandarin dub. Um, so that's uh, nice that they have that available. And uh, I'll probably come back and talk about that solo at some point uh, in the not too distant future. So that is there as well. So there's plenty of content out there right now, um, new content, which is great. Uh, so if you're looking for some new stuff, not really Lunar New Year stuff per se, um, but there's some stuff out there that you can sink your teeth into nonetheless. Um, also should point out that the uh the animated film that is kind of tied to the NASA film from before uh Jiang Ziya is now out on video in the states uh it is you can pick it up on digital or you can pick up the the blu-ray version um and uh you know that that is out there as well if you're someone like myself who really enjoys uh, animated films and that's another one that I want to come back and talk a little bit more about at, at a later time as well I can jump in here with a few recommendations. Uh, Taiwan, uh, from Taiwan, you have Little Big Woman, the Golden Horse winner um, for uh, Best Actress. I think it's a good family sort of uh, family thing to watch during Chinese New Year. It's um, about a family of a couple of women and the issues that they deal with after the death of the patriarch. Yes, it does have death in it, but um, I think... The, the the issues that you deal with is or the the dynamic between the the woman in the film very interesting the performances are great uh, and then you have classmates minus which is the follow up film from uh, the director of the great Buddha plus which is a really really great Taiwanese film from a couple of years ago this is this new film and it's sort of pseudo autobiographical because it's um it's the fictional version of a documentary that he made a couple of years ago it also won. I think it won Best Supporting Actor at the Golden Horse. So these Golden Horse winning films are now popping up on Netflix. Um, also, you have uh, Your Name Engraved Herein, which is not a Chinese New Year film. Uh, it's it's a it's a, uh, it's a gay drama that was a huge hit last year um, as well. Uh, and actually, I'm, I'm surprised we're not talking about Space Sweepers here, Ma. Yeah, that's one that uh, we would we definitely want to get to. Um, it's one that's on my list, and I just still haven't sat down to watch it because i know I, I know the wife wants to see it as well and um between the kids and you know just cooking and doing stuff throughout the lunar new year we really haven't had a time 
to sit down for ourselves. We've barely been able to find uh, you know, a time slot where we can both sit down and watch WandaVision together. That's kind of been our big watch for the week. The rest of the time, we're either you know handing off kid duties and or finding a, a quiet corner where we can sit down and watch something individually. Um, another one on Netflix, not really a New Year thing, but also recently put up there from Taiwan is a superhero comedy called Achu, um, which you can also you know if, if you're into something along those lines, uh, that's out there as well. Oh, Ivy, good luck with that. One. <laughs> Uh, if you have um, U.S. Amazon Prime Video, then you can also now watch Dante Lam's big budget flop, The Rescue, starring Eddie Pang. Um, so that's on there now. Um, yeah, those are what I can think of so far. All right. So good stuff. And we'll come back and hopefully talk about some of that in future episodes. And welcome back. So for our review this week, as mentioned before, Kevin is going to talk about Shockwave 2. And I'm going to shut up because, obviously, uh, there's no Hong Kong screenings of anything right now in cinemas over here. So, uh, Kevin, it's all over to you. Okay, so Shockwave 2, um, it's only a sequel in name to the hit film Shockwave. Uh, the connections, of course, is director Herman Yao, his screenwriter Erica Lee, and, of course, producer and star Andy Lau. They're all back, but it's a completely different story because if you watch The Last Shockwave, you would think, huh, a sequel. How does that happen? But no, there's a completely different story, so you do not have, you do not have to watch the first Shockwave to get it. But uh, here's a story, um, which I've edited from the one they sent to cinemas in Hong Kong, and I don't know why it was so badly written. But anyway, I've done some edits, so here we go. Serial bombings are causing panic in Hong Kong. Former EODB officer, that's the bomb disposal unit, uh, Pusheng Feng, played by Andy Lau, was found in a coma at the spot of one of those bombings. His close connections with villainous terrorist organization Vendetta makes him the prime suspect. Knowing that he would face imprisonment, he has to escape to find out the truth. Poon seeks help from his old partner, Tong Chekman, played by Sean Lau. Torn between the blurred line of good and evil, Tong must choose between police duties and friendship. Meanwhile, Poon's ex-girlfriend, Pong Ling, played by Nini, chief inspector of CTRU, the counterterrorism unit, talks Poon into infiltrating Vendetta to find out their next terrorist plot. Um, so yeah, this, like, as I said earlier, this um, sequel is really in name only. It's a completely new story. Um, you can say the ambition is a bit greater because the film starts out with Hong Kong's airport being nuked, <laughs> and that is a that is a huge thing. So um, that that's pretty much bigger than anything that that anything the first shockwave gave you. Um, but then it sort of backs off and say, "Oh, fake." It's like, "No, wait a minute, that's not going to happen yet." And then it sort of flashes back to the to the real story. Um, so this time, Andy Lau is sort of caught between this sort of good and evil kind of thing. He's sort of half villain, but then he also has has amnesia, so he's actually a good guy because he can't remember that he's a bad guy. And he's sort of running around trying to stop terrorists from bombing um, most of Hong Kong. And you can tell already the budget was way up because um, the way that Herman Yao blows up Hong Kong, you think only Michael Bay could really top that kind of bombing. So there's a lot of explosions um, of action. Um, this time it's not centered around a single place because um, the past couple of Andy Lau productions, um, there are a couple of um, 
uh, what we call, you know, those, those fake sets that really caught the headlines. So, for example, Shockwave, you have to fake um, Harbor Tunnel. And then you have uh, the White Storm 2, you have to fake Central Station. Or before that, for Firestorm, you have to fake Central being built and, you know, whole gunfight shot there. Here, they blow up so much of Hong Kong, you don't know which is set and which one is real. You, you would just think half the movie's probably shot on the set because they blow up so much of it. Um, so that's really a huge jump in ambition. Um, but the story, it, it, it's kind of um, humdrum, unfortunately, is, you know, the whole thing about Andy Lau. Andy Lau is always sort of playing himself, so you can't um, really get past that, the fact that he he's not really willing to go far and really play a villain. So he spends most of it being this good guy trying to um, trace his past and trying to trace... Uh, his connection to this sort of terrorist organization. And so it's really a man on the run kind of thing. So the first half is a lot of that, um, a lot of uh, gunfights and action. Um, and of course, there are some bomb disposal scenes that are quite well um, well planned or well well drawn out or um, it, quite intricate. And those are, those are interesting to watch. Uh, so on the action scale, it, it's picked up from the first film. It's really amped up. And that's um, a quite... St- uh, quite a big step up for director Herman Yao because um, I, I was always distracted by this one thing uh, in the white storm Two, He opens the film with an indoor uh, medium shot, sort of like, sort of like a soap opera. And I was always bothered by that because Herman Yao is supposed to make this big budget action film. And he seems to have no real, doesn't really know how to handle how to pace one of these films. But here, it's a huge step up. You you start the first half hour is quite intense with quite a few explosions and things like that. Of course, you have that nuclear explosion in Hong Kong airport, which is really a hell of an opener. Um, and and I think a lot of the action scenes, uh, you start to see Herman Yao is more than just a guy who executes it. Now he's really doing his best to. He's doing much better at handling these big budget and, and keeping these action scenes visually quite interesting. So he's really, uh, it's, it's quite a step up for him. Um, and fortunately, I think the the weak link in the cast is Sean Lau or Lao Cheng Wan. He's playing um, the good guy. He's really a straight up good guy who sort of caught between wanting to help Andy because um, there was something in the past. He used to be a there, they used to be partners, and there's something that happened that uh, the police force sort of betrayed um, Andy Lau's character, and which is why he became a terrorist and. And I think the Lao Chowing character feels a bit responsible for it, and he feels uh, indebted to Andy Lau's character, so he's 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 there to help him, but he doesn't really get much to do aside from being the psychic. So he he doesn't really have anything real dramatic to do here because Andy Lau sort of really takes the heavy lifting, and um, and even then, you know, Andy Lau is playing Andy Lau anyway. So um, on terms of acting, it's it's not really the the long long-awaited uh, reunion of, of uh, Lao Cheng Wan and Andy Lau that you guys have been waiting for. Um, other than that, the plot is... I think the, the real standout in the cast is Jie Kwon Ho, who, uh, who was also last seen with Andy in Find Your Voice. But here he's doing much better. He does this... He has this sort of villain villain hair going on he has he's he dyed he dyed his hair white and and he sort of has this long hair thing and he's kind of playing this uh crazy terrorist but also has a bromance of andy and i think his bromance of andy lao's character is much more interesting than lao ching one's bromance with andy lao's character um so he kind of steals the film whenever he's, he's in it even though he is also sort of hamming it up 
Um, but here, you're really not coming here for the acting. You're here for the action. You're here for the explosions. And there's quite a bit of it. It's just that the plot goes into weird sci-fi territories uh, that is not really completely convincing. Um, and then, of course, the problem with shooting big-budget action scenes in Hong Kong is that there's a lot of... Uh, reliance on cgi and once you're using cgi you kind of forget the laws of physics so especially towards the end when the terrorist uh plot comes into play and you got the real big um the the, the big scale the large scale uh destruction going on um some of the the physics don't really work for me um so yeah the story is not really the strong part uh, of this film if you come here and you're really watching the the big budget action, the explosions, things like that. And I think you'll get enough of it. Um, but otherwise, uh, what's another thing? Okay, another thing is that, okay, so I think a lot of uh, fans of Herman Yao may be disappointed by sort of his shift to the establishment. Um, for example, the last couple of films he made have been with Andy Lau's producer. So um, the first Shockwave, you have uh, The White Storm 2, and now you have Shockwave 2, and then now making another film together. And it's a bit disappointing to see the the sort of shift of Sherman Yao into the establishment big budget thing, because he, ha- he hasn't really done a pet project for a while. But I think Shockwave 2 is very interesting. Even though it might have been shot before the protests, it actually, you can read it as some kind of political statement. In a way, um, the terrorist organization is one of those mutual destruction guys who uh, who thinks that bringing down Hong Kong is really the best way. But then I think it says more when it's dealing with the police because you have the Andy Lau character trying to protest against some kind of injustice in the system, the police system, and him being sort of becoming the uh, the scapegoat or he, being, he, he, he becomes persecuted um for it on the other hand he, he so he's trying to raise up some he sort of raise some kind of injustice but then he becomes a scapegoat and he becomes persecuted in the end so i think it says something about the police system and there's one particular line by the nini character who's really there as a plot device but she says one very interesting line to andy and um it's not really a spoiler but i think it it, it leaves uh, a lot of room for thought he tells she tells andy if you trust me, then you're a cop. If you don't trust me, then you're a terrorist. So a lot of people have sort of taken that line, or and of course, it's, it, they think that it's not, it's perhaps not an accident that that line is spoken by the only, um, only actor in the main cast that's from mainland China. So take that what you will. I think Herman Yao is trying to toe the line a little bit. He's trying to say some things about current Hong Kong. But of course, the co-production system forces him to steer that to a diff- to a certain direction in the end that everyone can 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 predict. But what he does along the way, I think, is quite interesting. Um, but if you're not interested in that and just want to watch an action film, I think you'd be perfectly satisfied with Shockwave 2. I think it really delivers on the action. The story is not very strong. I don't think storytelling has always been uh, has always been Herman Yao's strong suit anyway. So um, it is to be expected that the story isn't isn't really as satisfying satisfying as as um, as one would like it to be, or and the acting really isn't as strong as one would like it to be. But yeah, if you're here for an action film, I think you'll be you'll be satisfied. So I mean, in the first film, you had kind of all this local political subtext going on with the Cross Harbor Tunnel and, and that whole set and staging. Is is this 
<clears throat> less localized because it's it's so much more alternate reality i guess because of like you know blowing up the airport and and a nuclear device um or is that kind of nuance still there uh, well, I, I was always amused by the whole tunnel thing because I think anyone who who's driven who, who's dri driven a car in Hong Kong would get that tunnel thing, eh? and that I feel like that felt like that was the most the most Hong Kong conflict ever. Because I remember what I told you about watching this film with Udine with Tim Young's uh, friend of the show, uh, part of our movie group, and I think two of us were the only people laughing at the tunnel thing in the theater in Italy because we were like, we get it, like this is the most Hong Kong thing ever. Um, here, I think that they they go for sort of a bigger statement. Even though it's in a nuanced way, as I was saying, they're talking about mutual destruction, the idea of mutual destruction, which is something that uh, a lot of the radical pro-democracy um, uh, protesters were, were, were advocating, mutual destruction. Um, and that the film goes into a little bit here. And I think that let's just say the film takes a more a bit more gray area approach to terrorism than than if the film was made by a mainland Chinese filmmaker. Um, even though, again, the film was made and written and, you know, conceived before the protests broke out, um, the political issues somehow still managed to seep and it, 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 its way in there because it has been sort of been in, in Hong Kong for so long, for quite a few years. So it, it's... Um, it's not quite a very specific issue, the way to deal with it, but I think it sort of has these implications and these very nuanced implications of what Herman Yao sort of wants to say about political politics in Hong Kong or the way that um, the political situation in Hong Kong. I, I think he's trying to say something about that within the frame of this big action film. And of course, you don't have to read it as such. I don't think he intends it to be, but... There are a couple of things in there that I think people will appreciate Herman for throwing into the film. All right, that sounds good. I look forward to seeing it if and when uh, I get a chance to. Of course, um, we probably could have talked about this in the news section. Um, I mean, this film is, I mean, for fans of Hong Kong cinema, this film is one they're looking forward to again because of that kind of Lao Ching Wan and Andy Lau pairing uh, that Kevin talked about. Um, but we have another pairing on the horizon now, apparently, and that is with Andy Lau and uh, Tony Lung, little Tony, right? Um, that news has been a buzz. First, it was a thing that was going to be called uh, Goldfinger, apparently, which is, I guess, a working title. And now it's been revealed as Once Upon a Time in Hong Kong. Is that correct, Kevin? No, Goldfinger was the literal translation of the Cantonese title. It's still it's still named Goldfinger okay. in Cantonese because because Goldfinger is a Cantonese slang for um, a police informer, someone who gets who makes a lot of money by becoming an informer. I think I think that's the, the it's so it's a film about the ICAC. Uh, it's, it's I think it's set in the seventies or eighties. But yes, yeah, so the film's title has always been officially Once Upon a Time in Hong Kong because I translated the synopsis um, a couple of weeks ago. So I've known for weeks that that's the film's name. <laughs> it was never called Goldfinger. But Chinese name has always been Goldfinger. That's true. Um, yeah, so that film is directed by Felix Chung. It stars Andy Lau and Tony Leung, uh, also Simon Yam and Shaolin Choi and Fong Chongshen or Alex Wong, uh, not the swimmer. <laughs> 
theater, the older Alex Wong. Um, it, it's a big production. It's going to cost 350 million Hong Kong dollars. So that's about 45 million US dollars. Uh, I think there was some media outlets who claims that it might be the most expensive Hong Kong production ever. Because even though there have been more expensive Hong Kong director production, they probably were made in the mainland. But I think for like a Hong Kong filmed, even for co-production, it, I think it's one of the most expensive films ever made in Hong Kong. Um, so yeah, that film is, uh, from what I know, is that it's set in the 70s or 80s. It's about ICAC uh, officer and a, um, and a company that went mysteriously out of business during a uh, uh, a stock market crash, I think. And it's sort of based loosely based on what happened to a real company. So I don't know who's playing who, but there are two main roles in there. And I'm sure that those are the two main roles that Andy Lau and Tony Lung will be, will be taking. But yeah, there was a huge press conference yesterday at, at, at the I-Square Theater with the stars all there. And they talked a little bit about what the film's going to be like. And... I'm not sure if we talked about this on the mic last week, but there's a huge set that's being built near my in my neighborhood, um, next to the harbor, uh, next to a park. They rented out this lot, and now they've got a MTR entrance built there. They've they've got a, a pretty big '70s style building there, and they've got a lot of blue screen there. I'm told that that's one of the, the major sets that are, that are going to be used for the film. Interesting. I mean. Yeah, okay, ICAC back in the 70s. I mean, you know, uh, it's Infernal Affairs meets Overheard in some way, shape, or form, it sounds like, which, you know, seeing the two big guys together get on screen, it's great. But I was really, really, I mean, we're talking about Herman Yao. I was really, really hoping for a cheesy comedy along the lines of Don't Fool Me, uh, Herman Yao's uh, film from the 90s, I think 1991, starring Andy and, and Tony. Uh, Chinese title, Zhong uh, Wan Ying Hong, if I remember correctly. Um, I I so wanted I I so wanted a comedy, you know, because I yeah they're going to be great in a in a period, you know, piece about corruption. Uh, but I just I I think we really need a comedy in this day and age. Come on, somebody you, get on you that. You can't do that anymore. You can't do that anymore because Felix Chung revealed yesterday that just the set. And the actor's salaries alone cost a hundred million Hong Kong dollars. Mm. So you can't get Andy and Tony on a, on a comedy budget anymore because they're too expensive. So you have to have something that's bigger and you know bigger. You have to have something that really justifies the budget. Unfortunately, so yeah. So that's that's the way the the dice rolls. Yeah, yeah. I'll just have to stick with uh, Dale Wong, I guess, or somebody. Wong Chou Wong Chou Lam. Who wants to Wong? Who laughs at Wong Chou Lam anymore? Oh my God. <laughs> You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. So you have been listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jubauer of Snauzer Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. We also get a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. If you would like to be part of the show, please do get in touch with us via the website at congcast.com or over at Twitter at Comcast. You can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com, and you can find us at Facebook on e at East S West S. As always, I do urge you to please keep up with Kevin 
and all that he does. Uh, so, Kevin, where can they find out more about you? You can mainly follow me on Twitter. I am at the Golden Rock. Um, that's one word, the Golden Rock. I suppose you can find me on Clubhouse now too. I mean, Clubhouse is actually like I was gonna say, Clubhouse is exactly like Discord, except with better interface and a bit easier to use. Because I've been using Discord a little bit because I've been watching Taiwanese baseball and I've been doing some stuff, or some discussion on Discord with other people. But uh, yeah, you can find me on Clubhouse. I guess I'm on there once in a while, uh, talking about Hong Kong films with other people. Um, yeah, you can email me at Kevin at AsiaInCinema.com. All right. Please do check out our friends over at the podcast on Fire Network as well. And uh, so, yeah, we'll be back uh, next time to talk about some stuff. I'm not sure what we have planned in the pipe. It's going to depend on what I can sink my teeth into and what Kevin is up to in the weeks to come. But until then, this has been the East Green, West Green podcast saying, and have a great year of the ox. We'll see you next time. Everyone. See you next time.